Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Well, good evening and welcome to episode 0000184 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'm going to be your host through to eight this evening, broadcasting to you from the Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nations. And I pay my respects to their elders past and present and any mob that are out listening at the moment. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you to Vaughn for a very special episode of uh, Double Bounce. Some call him Mr. Meredith, but I like to call him the King of Meredith. Uh, he did a fantastic job. Uh, hosting dry cleaning just then. What a treat that was. And like you said, you can go and see them later tonight if you want to. Um, look, I just wanted to, you know, do some finger on the pulse stuff and just uh, take an opportunity at the opening to talk about uh, what's been going on at the Uruk Justice Commission. You know, the commission that was established as part of the treaty process around truth-telling in this place we call uh, Victoria. Well, they've been having some hearings over the last fortnight. Uh, The hearings so far um, during that fortnight have focused on the child protection system. And this week, the week we are in now, they're actually turning their attention to the criminal justice system. So they're receiving submissions from individuals and organisations alike to talk in depth about... Sometimes uh, uh, the uh, st- uh, statistical overview of what's happening in some of these spaces, sometimes first-hand experience, and of course, all the lived experience that comes with that. But just on the child protection system for a moment, and this is one of the major benefits of the Uruk Commission, is that it brings these things to light in a detailed and uh, forensic way. And I'm referring to a statement given by our one and only guest tonight, uh, Mina Singh, who we'll um, talk more about in a minute. But um, if we just sit back and have a listen to some of the statistics around the child protection system. In 2021, so in the years 2020 and 2021, there were 7,337 Aboriginal children receiving child protection services in Victoria a substantial and alarming increase since 2014-15. There's been a steady incline on the numbers in child protection or in contact with the child protection. And that means, and that is defined as um, an investigation of a notification, uh, being on a care and protection order or being in out-of-home care. If you think about the population here in Victoria, it's not that large, but to have 7,337 Aboriginal children receiving child protection services is just astounding. And here are some other stats to go with that. In 2020 and 2021, Aboriginal children were 5.6 times more likely to be the subject of a notification, 8.2 times more likely to have a finalised investigation, and 8.9 times more likely to be the subject of a substantiation. 16.9 times more likely to be the subject to a care and protection order and 21.9 times more likely to be in the care as of the 30th of June 2021. 
So what the Europe Justice Commissioning is doing now is bringing these things to light. They're coupling the data with people's lived experience and it provides a very compelling, um, fraught and sometimes heartbreaking analysis of the situation we find ourselves in here in 2022. So there's so much more to be done on these fronts, and it's very pleasing to see that uh, the re-elected Premier, Daniel Andrews, has come out and made some noises about some changes that need to occur to the child protection system and his willingness to listen to Aboriginal people and communities and carers and experts on that front. So we'll watch that space. But um, look, if you want to avail yourself of some of the testimony and some of the statements that are actually being made through the uh, Uruk uh, Justice Commission, you can actually just go to urukjusticecommission.org.au and you'll see people's statements and um, video there um, telling you the way things are here in 2022 and telling us the story that we all need to hear to move forward and beyond where we are at the moment, which at the moment is totally unacceptable. So, like I said, I'll be speaking to uh, Mina Singh uh, shortly. Mina is the child... Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> Mina is the um, the uh, Commissioner for Aboriginal Child Children and uh, Young People in Victoria. Uh, she's passionate about uh, the child protection system, human rights more broadly, but also the Raise the Age campaign. So we'll be speaking to... Uh, her about all that shortly. Um, if you want to text in during the show, there is a text line. It's 0466981027. That's 0466981027. Uh, but this is the mission. Let's uh, start off with a bit of a rollicking tune. Dan Sultan there with uh, Old Fitzroy. Fantastic song that takes you straight to those streets that we know so well in this community. It's 13 past seven. Before that, we had a jailbreak with uh, Yothi Yindi. Uh, you're listening to The Mission. It's time for uh, tonight's uh, one and only guest, but a very special guest it is too. Now, I mentioned at the top of the show, the York Justice Commission has been sitting for the past fortnight. And one of the people that uh, made a statement to the Commission, uh, in particular on the state of child protection in Victoria, was Mina Singh. Now, Mina is a Yorta Yorta lawyer and advocate, and she's also the state's third commissioner for Aboriginal children and young people. And now I think of it, that's three Yorta Yorta people that have been... No, it's not three, no. Two of the three have been Yorta Yorta people <laughs> in terms of the uh, commissioner for Aboriginal children and young people. Uh, Mina has a wealth of skills and experience, including as a Victorian legal aid lawyer, representing children and young people in child protection and youth justice, together with multiple roles of key relevance to the Commission's work in her history, including that with the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, Human Rights Law Centre and Aboriginal Family Violence Support Service, JIRA. Uh, Complementing the Commissioner's extensive legal experience with marginalised Aboriginal people, are deep connections with the Aboriginal community-controlled organisations and involvement in prominent strategic advocacy campaigns, including the raising the age of criminal responsibility to at least 14, which we'll speak to the Commissioner about. But without further ado, Mina, welcome to the mission. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. It's great to have you on uh, for the first time. Hopefully uh, it'll be uh, the first of uh, many times as we move yeah, forward so. over the years. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, um... Let's start off with the, uh, your statement to the, the Uruk uh, Justice Commission. I think mm-hmm. the, the last fortnight there has been a number of uh, testimonies and submissions to the Commission that have been very compelling. What, was, what, what did you want to 
conveyed to, to the Commission and therefore conveyed to the people of Victoria about Victoria's child protection system and Aboriginal communities and kids? Yeah, I think what we most wanted to get across um, with my statement and then giving evidence last Monday was just exactly what we see at the Commission in our work and, um, as you said in the introduction, I'm the third of, um, I'm the third of three um, uh, Commissioners for Aboriginal Children and Young People, so I really wanted to get across the work of my predecessors, Uncle Andrew Jackalmos and Justin Muhammad, and also the other work of um, the Commission as a whole and, and um, my partner in, I like to say, making good trouble, Leanna Buchanan, who's the Principal Commissioner, and just kind of paint the picture of what we see in our work. And, you know, we do a lot of systemic inquiries and um, in the last six years we've done uh, 10 systemic inquiries that were tabled in Parliament and eight of those have been on the child protection system itself. Yeah. And it's kind of like we wouldn't do these inquiries if we thought everything was hunky-dory with these systems. And, um, you know, Uncle Andrew's landmark inquiries um, when he uh, first started in his role looking at the experiences of Aboriginal children in out-of-home care. Um, and at the time he did that work, uh, he looked at the cases of 980 Aboriginal children in out-of-home care. And what we have now is over 2,500 children in out-of-home care. Um, you know, and that's, an, that's a monumental increase in less than 10 years. Yeah. And what I wanted to get across is that we simply don't have enough um, investment into prevention and early intervention into the things that keep families strong, um, that we see, um, sadly, we see too many children having lots of notifications and investigations about them, but not enough being done to support the families and support what's going on for that child. And... Um, we see, you know, children's um, harm in some environments being built up and then children getting removed and then just being exposed to more harm and more trauma uh, in their out-of-home care environments. And I think probably the most frustrating thing is that, you know, besides the work of the Commission, there's been so many investigations, inquiries, royal commissions, so much, you know... Um, analysis and examination of our experiences and this frustration that if, you know, there were implementation of, of certain recommendations over the years that we wouldn't be facing these issues, um, that we would have actually addressed them. But, yeah, it's, part, of, part of my statement was kind of a lot of frustration but also... Um, you know, just trying to provide some solutions around what needs to happen. Yeah, look, I could, there was a, I don't know whether you uh, were aware of it, but there was an audible sigh in what you were just saying, um, Mina, <laughs> because there have been so many inquiries. Let's, yeah. let's, let's remind people um, at home or driving or doing whatever they're doing, uh, tell us about the, the role and the powers you have as the Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young young people, just so we could provide some context as to uh, your insights and, and your, your authority on the subject matter. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, the, the Commission for Children and Young People has a, a few different pieces of legislation that oversees its work and its powers. So there's one particular act, uh, the Commission for Children and Young People Act, that sets out our functions and our powers, um, and that 
uh, piece of legislation uh, specifically refers to the principal commissioner and it refers to um, uh, other commissioners being appointed. And so my role isn't anywhere mentioned in legislation. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's, um, it's just one of those other commissioners that can be appointed by Cabinet and Confidence. And, uh, but I work closely with the principal commissioner and our work kind of falls into three or well, four key areas, actually. That particular legislation covers um, our uh, monitoring um, powers. So we monitor incidents that happen in out-of-home care and in youth justice spaces, and we can ask questions about what the response was to, um, to those incidents. So they might be incidents such as um, a child self-harming um, or attempts at suicide. It might be... Uh, physical violence, you know, sexual assault, you know, these sorts of things that you don't necessarily want to be thinking about for a child who's been removed from their family to be potentially experiencing those things in out-of-home care. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, so we have insight into those um, and, you know, we can make, you know, find out what's happened in those situations. We also do... Um, Possibly one of the saddest parts of our work is that we uh, conduct inquiries into services that were or were not provided to a child who has passed away and in the last 12 months of that child's life they had some sort of engagement with the child protection system. Yeah. So you can imagine they're really heartbreaking things to read and um, there's, um, you know, from our last... Uh, our 2020-2021 annual report, I hope I've got these numbers right, there were 45 um, uh, uh, deaths of children in that situation as, as, you know, in the last 12 months of their life, um, they, you know, they had some sort of engagement with child protection. 13 of those, two, of those 45 were Aboriginal children. So where you've got an overrepresentation of Aboriginal children in out-of-home care and child protection, you're going to see an overrepresentation in other areas as well. Um, so that's a really, um, a really difficult piece of the work, and it gives us really uh, rich information about, um, you know, what that child's experiences were like, what supports were there for their family, and, and you know what was or wasn't happening for that child. Um, uh, then we also do the systemic inquiries, um, which are you know probably what we're most well known for. Um, yep. The, the you know the, the monitoring and the, the child death inquiries that obviously you know they relate to specific individual children so you know we need to um, be very careful about how we talk about those and and um, because we're dealing with people's you know, families and lives so so we need to be very careful with what information we say about those but our systemic inquiries really allow us to deep dive into um, issues that we see recurring a lot in child protection or in the justice system. And then we also have a regulatory role, and that's where some other pieces of legislation come in. And so we um, we are a co-regular for child safe standards. So these are standards that organisations um, who have care of children must comply with to keep children safe. Yeah. And um, then we also have reportable conduct. So if a child does experience um, some type of harm or assault or, you know, um, uh, the, or, the the organisation where that you know happens in has to um, do an investigation, and so we oversee that as well.
So we kind of see individual children's lives, but we also see more systemic organisational issues as well. You see, you see the micro and, and the macro. And yeah. out of all, all the reports that have been tabled now and have been put before the ICE, this is not, not, a, not a case of um, decision makers not being able to read these reports. These reports are put in front of them and they are read. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the most start, um, startling um, statistics that uh, came in your uh, statement to, to the Commission was the, the, the overall numbers of Aboriginal children receiving child protection services between 2014, yeah. 15 and 20 and 2021. 20, um, um, yeah. And what it shows is just a, basically a steady incline that if it continues at that rate, it looks like we could actually double the number of children receiving child protection services in Victoria by 24, 25. You know, if you just wanted to look at it in terms of the trajectory um, uh, continuing. Out of all the reports and recommendations, what needs to be done to flatten Mm. that curve and lower those numbers? I think we need to absolutely recognise and own up to the fact that our the removal of Aboriginal children in this country has is entrenched in a legacy of, of, of racism, of um, breaking up our families, of, of denying culture, of, you know, taking children away from the things that keep them strong, our mm-hmm. culture, our language, our, our spiritual practices, our, you know, day-to-day practices. Um, all of these things keep families and children strong. And when we, you know removed children, when we removed community from their country, when we stopped practices of culture, when we took children away, we the, the, the very things that kept us strong for tens of thousands of years were eroded dramatically. Not destroyed, because we're such a strong, resilient people that, you know, they'll never be destroyed, but they were very badly, you know, eroded. And, you know, if you talk to anyone who isn't engaged with, say, child protection, you look at the things that are going right in their lives. They're probably, you know, like I think of my own, and I did this with the commission, the Europe Justice Commission. I said, you know, me growing up, I, you know, moved house twice, one of which I don't remember because I was a bubby. I, you know, got to go to school uninterrupted. I had big sisters who modelled good behaviours for me. My parents had good health all through my growing up. Um, They both worked... I didn't have any illnesses or disabilities that got in the way of education or anything. All of these things are what keep children safe and strong and their families safe and strong. So these are the things we need to be putting into families. We need to be providing the very basics around um, what keeps children safe. And instead, you know, and, and that comes from identify working with families in ways that aren't punitive that actually says we want to help you we want to work with you to address what needs you have um and you know work in ways that are collaborative that are strength-based that are culturally sensitive culturally appropriate and don't um sort of come in heavy-handed and you know have a value uh judgment on how people are going and when we think about how much trauma our community has been through well, the generation. And, you know, it's, there's so many in our community that are struggling. It's, it's not the majority, but there are still a lot of people who are struggling. And these are the ones that are coming to attention of, of child protection. So 
you know, what do we do with our health services to support people? What do we do with our housing services? What do we do with education? All of these things, you know, and they're outside of child protection. So we really need the whole of government approach to um, support these families. But instead, you know, we... um, you know, like I like I said earlier, we uh, hear about you know we sometimes see children having multiple notifications for for risk or harm factors, for neglect, and nothing is actually done. No services are put in. Like, well, why is that? Why are we not supporting families to to support themselves and, and get the the help that they need? It's 28 past seven. You're listening to The Mission on Triple R 102.7 FM or maybe you're listening via the National Indigenous Radio Service right across this big brown land. Uh, welcome. I'm speaking to the Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People in Victoria, uh, Mina Singh, about uh, the child protection system ostensibly at the moment. I don't know whether you can comment, Mina, but the, the Premier came out in one of his first press conferences post-election and made some, what I consider, really positive noises around looking at the child protection system and working with Aboriginal communities um, and individuals to start reforming that system so we can do something about these statistics. Um, What did you make of his comments? Well, I hope we do get some um, some proper thorough examination of, of the child protection system and I think what we really need to do is have a comparative analysis of why is it that the rates for non-Aboriginal children, the uh, rates of removal of non-Aboriginal children have stayed relatively stagnant, you know, relatively the same for a number of years, but we just see the rates of removal for Aboriginal families just going through the roof. What, 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 what sort of role do you think? I mean, we, we, have, a, we have the police here now that are... Uh, more numerous and better funded than they've ever been yeah. before. Do you, do you yeah. is, what role does the I guess the police state play in some of these removable removals? Well, I mean, we know obviously the police are one of the the, um, the agents that you know, and one of the one of the you know, um, lost my words. But yeah, one of the agents that was used to remove children as part of the stolen generation. You know, yeah. we. You know, sometimes, um, you know, the, the you know, family violence can be a really big driver of, of, of removing um, children from their families. So sometimes children are engaging with police in a, you know, the first time is in a family violence context where the mm. police come around and, you know, they're coming with, say, perhaps, you know, um, child protection workers and it's a really traumatic, you know, experience of, of, of the police. And, um, you know, we... There's so many other supportive roles that we need to see in children's lives and in families' lives. Prevention. That work, yeah, that work therapeutically, that work, you know, in culturally appropriate ways that understand, you know, some of the trauma that these children have been through. And unfortunately, we don't see that in, you know, the, 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 in some ways, the police get used to do far too many things. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and we need to, you know, you know, like a classic example is the, um, is, you know, how we respond to uh, public drunkenness and revising and changing how we respond to that. You know, this is a health issue. We need to be responding to it with health measures. Um, and so, you know, moving away from this kind of um, punitive approach to people's trauma, um, I think is what we see a lot in, in 
Aboriginal children and young people and their families, that there's a punishment for trauma. What's, what's, you know, how long have you been in the role for now, Mina? Has it been 12 uh, months yet? Started, uh, not yet. I started at the end of April. End of April. So I think eight months. Yeah. Right. So during, during your time there thus far, what have you learnt that has taken you aback the most, you know, in terms of the scale of the problem? Or it might be a statistic or a story or a, um, a case study. What's really taken you aback and saying, wow, we really, really need to do something about this? Um, so I think oh, there's, there's a lot um, of, of really sad, horrible things, unfortunately, that yeah. we see. But I think one of the things that has really struck a chord with me that really pains me is when children and young people go missing from out-of-home care, from residential care, you know, kinship placements, whatever, and they are getting themselves... Well, not, they're not getting themselves. They're... Um, they're vulnerable to situations where they're being exploited, whether that's, you know, sexual exploitation, whether that's, you know, being, you know, um, violently abused, um, whatever it is. You know, they're, they're going, they're, they're missing or absent from the places that are meant to be looking after them and keeping them safe, and they're getting into situations where they're just so unsafe and they're experiencing more and more trauma. And I think that's been a piece that's really just broken my heart about how much um, how much these children and young people experience in their very young lives yeah. and, you know, the sorts of trauma that we wouldn't, you know, most of us would have never experienced in an entire lifetime and yet I sometimes feel like there's an attitude that because these kids have been through some very adult things that they themselves are adults and they're not they're just kids they're just children and young people and they're um they're trying to figure out the world and they're trying you know and they've got such inconsistencies in their lives and um you know the the modeling of behaviors for them the things that are positive in their lives can be few and far between and you know the commission did an inquiry into this very thing as children going um going absent or missing and it it's just heartbreaking. Um, it's, it's that thing. I mean, that aspect yeah. of it, um, of kids being taken away from their families and their culture and so putting so-called sort of safer places and then receiving abuse in those so-called safe places. I mean, that's just a repeat of what so many survivors of the stolen generations have told us throughout the generations. And it's very, very sobering, saddening, and um, I guess... Uh, anger-inducing that it continues to happen here in 2022. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like we've learnt nothing. Yeah, and I, I, I just... I don't know whether we forget these are children or whether it's because they're out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, or, I think that's got a lot, a lot to do with it, you know, that out of sight, yeah. out of mind thing. Yeah, and, um, and, you know, and this is one of, you know, one of the reasons I love working at the commission is I get to I, I am able to get close and hear these children's stories direct mm. and meet these children and um you know I you know that we, we have to close that chasm between um you know the experiences of these children and their voices and people who are making the decisions about them.
Um, we really need to make sure their voices are heard and brought into decisions that are being made about them, that's brought into policy that that plays out about what they really experience and um, make sure their voices are front and centre. And, you know, that's something I think, you know, we do really well at the Commission is mm. of, um, getting these voices and... and um, you know, using them to drive what recommendations we make. And, um, you know, we we just try to give a voice to them. And, and I think if more people had the opportunity to understand and, and hear their stories, they, you know, they would want so much to change for them. Well, I think that's... that's how, you know, the vital work that you do and the vital role you play, but it's also the vital work that things like the Europe Justice Commission can actually play a major role in, is is elevating those voices to make sure that not only the the voices of the children are heard, but the voices of the the families and the elders and the, and the, the broader association across the community are also heard and given voice to, so we can, you know, learn firsthand what it's like to be in some of these uh, situations. Uh, exactly. And he, listen with empathy, you know, yeah. and, and sort of take off your own kind of blinkers of your own, you know, bias or your own lived experience, you know, maybe suspend your own reality and just think what it's like for these children and young people and, um, yeah, take it from there. Zero four double six nine eight one zero two seven is the triple R text line. If you've got something you'd like to add to the conversation, um, let's just move to another issue before um, I, I let you uh, retire for the evening, Nina. Um, the raise the age campaign um, is yeah. still going on. There was a recent meeting of uh, attorneys general. I think it was yeah. last week, or maybe it was earlier yeah. this week. Last- Last Friday. Last Friday. And they noted that the Northern Territory has passed legislative reforms to raise the minimum age of criminal responsibility to 12. And of September of last year, the ACT committed to raising the minimum age of criminal responsibility to 14. Again, the um, Premier here seems to have made some positive noises about it. The Western Australian Premier has said under no circumstances would they raise the age of criminal responsibility to 14. Where are we at? Where are we at here in Victoria, and where are we at across the country in terms of raising the age of criminal responsibility? Um, that's a really good question. Um, it's important that the dialogue keeps happening, that people understand that this is not just a case of just raising the age, suddenly just changing legislation. What the Raise the Age campaign is about is putting those important things, like I said before about child protection, but what are the things that keep families safe? What are the things that stop children from offending? And what are the things that address their needs? But also recognising that, again, you know, the, the medical evidence is so strong that children, you know... At, at the age of 10 aren't able to, you know, they're, they're not forming, that they haven't, you know, they haven't cognitively really developed enough yet to be able to understand consequences of actions and, and see how things play out and, and um, you know, and that, you know, it's not until they're 14 that they get to have that. So we're punishing, you know, we're treating children as if they're adults and um, children are fundamentally different to adults. And they need to be treated in ways that, okay, if they do the wrong thing, they are responded to in age-appropriate ways that address Mm. what is the offending and not in ways that simply leave the child for worse off. 
after engaging with the criminal justice system. And, you know, the, the, as you said, the Northern Territory uh, raising the age to 12, you know, medical organisations have come out and said it is not enough. Yeah. You, you, you know, you have to look at what the evidence is. But, it, you know, it's again, it's, it's, you know, what keeps communities safe? What keeps children from offending? It's all the things that kept... You know, again, using myself as an example, it's all of those things that kept, you know, me from offending, you know, secure housing, you know, stability in their lives, engagement with education, um, you know, making sure their health, their physical and mental health needs are being attended. For Aboriginal kids, it's connection to culture. All of these things keep our kids safe. And, you know, like the, you know, the Uluru Statement from the Heart said, you know, we're not... Innately inherently, criminal people, yeah. inherently yeah. criminal people. You know, these are um, these are behaviours and responses that need appropriate um, appropriate measures that are always age appropriate. That always understand what the child is, is experiencing. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, last year um, my predecessor did uh, tabled the the uh, our youth our way report, systemic inquiry, looking at Aboriginal children's experiences of the youth justice system, and (coughs) one of the the recommendations of that was raising the age to 14, with no exceptions. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. And, um, you know, it's but it's not it's not just something that happens in a vacuum. There are all these other supports that need to be stepped up. Which is, it's like, um, you know, just to, to ask you one more question before before I let you go, what yep. you know, I'm let's try and have as real talk as possible here. What what is the hesitance around raising the age? All the evidence suggests that it's the appropriate and right thing to do. Why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we doing it? We're we're a reasoned people. We are a sophisticated culture. We have sophisticated systems and forms of governments. We have access to information that tells us that it's the right thing to do, why aren't we doing it? Why just aren't we doing it? I think possibly it's because we don't want to get close to these issues and we don't want to understand what is going on in the lives of these children and young people. It's far easier to dismiss their behaviours as criminal and put them away out of sight, out of mind. It's a harder course to take to actually work with someone and mm. engage with what the issues are and um, work with with a child to make sure that they're, you know, understanding what their behaviours are, that they're getting the right support. Um, but, you know, all of these kids need to be looked at as an investment, you know, <laughs> that, they're, that they're, they've got a future to live for, that they're going to grow up and they're going to become part of the community. They are part of the community now. And, you know, every single child in our community should be seen as, as someone who's worthwhile, who's, who should be invested in, who should be looked after, and who should be, you know, one of the great quotes from, um, from, from Our Youth Our Way was along the lines of, it would be nice not to be thought of as a criminal, but to be thought of as someone who did the wrong thing. And yeah, two very it's different really things. Telling, yeah, it's really telling about how we approach children and offending and if we continue to approach children to, to, to treat children as adults when it comes to offending we're not going to address these issues we're not going to change 
you know, how we um, how we think about these things. And there's so much evidence from around the world around other jurisdictions where the age of criminal responsibility is higher, where, you know, the reliance on youth justice centres isn't there, that there's other measures to support children and young people um, to, to respond to their circumstances and situations. And, you know, there is so much... if if we were brave and if we, you know, talked about these children and young people as children and young people. Yep, it's a lot harder than uh, building uh, level crossing uh, <laughs> removals. Um, it's, this is far more complex and if the Victorian government was to tackle it and make some change to it, then that would be a legacy worth looking forward to. <laughs> yeah. And it, it would be great to be part of those conversations and really see what we can do. Yeah. Uh, Mina Singh, Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate you taking the time. Look forward to speaking to you again. And if you want to um, read uh, the Commissioner's uh, statement to the Uruk Justice Commission, just go to urukjusticecommission.org.au and you'll see a whole swathe of testimonies, statements and submissions there. And avail yourself of the real stories of real people that that are trying to either live with these systems or do something about these systems. Uh, Mina, thank you so much for your time. Oh, not at all. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it for another episode of The Mission. My thanks to uh, Mina Singh for her valuable time. Coming up next, Superfluity. All three of them, they look great. They're going to be great. Uh, I'll be back next week for one last show just to see if I can fool you again. But until next week, stay safe, stay strong and stay listening. Ta-da. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.